Alan Watt has spent decades researching the way cultures are created and altered by those in control. Born in Scotland, he watched as the politicians and media covertly guided the population into a European amalgamation. Now living in Canada, Alan is warning that the same process is being used to force our populations into a North American Union without our consent and without full disclosure. Welcome, Alan. It's a pleasure to be here. Thanks so much for joining us. Now, Alan, one of the things that I like, we just watched your video uh, a couple of days ago, and you talk about the hive mentality, how we worker bees basically work our tails off building things for the royal class. How did that happen? It's uh, in modern and ancient uh, religions, they used to use the symbol of the beehive as a perfect society where you had the, the, the queen at the top, the royalty, and all the workers beneath them that did all the work, of course, with a, a priestly class or drones kind of managing the food, etc. Uh, right, right down to deciding which ones would get royal jelly and which ones would become worker bees according to how they were fed. And we find all of these techniques being used today. The hive, the word hive, the term is being used by big think tanks and institutions to describe the modern society they're bringing into being. It's not here totally yet. We see it all uh, emerging around us, this new, uh, it's really a scientific dictatorship, as Aldo Huxley described it, and it's to be run by professionals and experts, and the public are to be given a new type of government. Really, they call it governance, as opposed to government. Alan, who do you think is responsible for this one big world government? It's an amalgamation of um, very old societies. Um, we find that in the 1800s, for instance, out of Britain, you had societies that were given royal charters to create a new system. Part of the system to, to be to take over all natural resources of the planet. And one of those societies was the Cecil Rhodes Foundation that eventually blossomed into the Royal Institute for International Affairs. And it's got branches across the planet. Um, most of your media, your regular media, are members. You have to be invited to become a member. And uh, journalists, uh, newspaper owners, and the Council on Foreign Relations is their main one in the U.S. Now, in the United States, the Council on Foreign Relations came out on national television in Canada in 2005 as their own organization for the first time and they admitted that they had basically drafted up um, the drafts to be signed by presidents and prime ministers for the amalgamation of the Americas. Now they are classed officially as a non-governmental, non-political body and here they are drafting up legislation which they hand to every government that then signs it into law. So we're not run by any kind of democracy by any means or any stretch of the imagination. We are already, and we have been for a long time, run by this super government, this parallel government, yeah. as Professor Carroll Quigley called it in his book, Tragedy and Hope. Um, it's, it's made up of the big institutions like the Royal Institute for International Affairs, Council on Foreign Relations, the Rand Corporation with think tanks, many other think tanks, big foundations like the Rockefellers, etc., contribute to it, not just financially, but by uh, using their own think tanks and networking together to bring this new world order. I mean, we've got to understand that even David Rockefeller hands out world citizenship awards. He's been handing them out for about uh, almost 20 years now. Well, how can they be doing world citizen awards yeah. if we're still supposedly sovereign nations? There's a dilemma here. And it's never explained to the public. The, the fact is, since the United Nations was set up and signed uh, in 1945-46, uh, we have been part of a global system. And uh, any country since then that's been attacked by NATO or the UN forces has simply been uh, a rogue nation, a nation that didn't yeah. come in to become standardized under this one same system that they term to the public democracy, but in fact is a totalitarian scientific type of dictatorship right. where everything is ordered perfectly from birth to grave. Um, they, they want a transition phase 
uh, as we go through the next transition of creating new types of humans. That's in all the newspapers. They call it post-humanism and post-humanism agenda. Like Aldous Hu- Aldo Huxley. Yes, and Aldo Huxley, um, remember, he was the grandson of Sir Thomas Huxley, who was the best friend of Charles Darwin and who then ran with Darwinism after Darwin died. And his son, Aldo, uh, worked with Tavistock uh, Institute, which was to deal with scientifically created propaganda and mind control out of London and formulas for the media to copy for perfect propaganda. And his brother, uh, Julian Huxley, became the first uh, CEO of UNESCO because they wanted to create, get a common uh, education across the world so that everyone would be given the same indoctrination. And he did say indoctrination. You can see it happening in Germany, Alan, because the, uh, the government there is forbidding parents to homeschool because the, uh, the country says they want to have the, the, the child from, you know, two years of age up till 21 years of age to provide their own brand of indoctrination. Right. So um, and, and there's a, there's I, I didn't catch any of that. <laughs> uh, okay, what, what Richard was saying was that um, in Germany, they're working very hard to uh, stop the homeschooling. They won't allow them to homeschool anymore. And, yes. and they're specifically doing that so that the children are indoctrinated according to state rules, regulations, thought. Yep. Um, a, any idea of that happening in other places in the world? Everything that happens in the United States, Canada, or Britain is happening across the whole planet at the same time. As I say, we, we are already under a governmental world system, and uh, the big institutions, as I say, they, they draft up legislation. Every law that's been passed, uh, even to do with building codes, farming codes, every code you can imagine to do with living, food, industry, has, been, has come from the United Nations for the last 50 years, and now it's even more apparent have come out in the open and admitted that. Right. Alan, we have to go for a commercial break right now. When we come back, I'd like to talk about the privatization of what used to be municipal services like water and power and how that is used as a method of control. We'll be right back. We're on the phone with Alan Watt. Alan, we have so many points to get through, so we're just going to shoot a bunch of questions at you. Maybe you can just fill in people quickly and then encourage them to watch your DVD because it's very uh, informational. Alan, the privatization of municipal services, we see it happening everywhere. What does that have to do with this new world order and globalization project? It's, again, it was explained by Professor Carl Quigley, who was a member of the Council on Foreign Relations and the historian for them. And he said that the up-and-coming system is to be a new feudal system where the feudal overlords will be the CEOs of international corporations. And by that, he meant that they would run everything that the average person needs to live, food, water, clothing, heating, housing, and so on. It's also to go into um, the, the, the United Nations Biodiversity Treaty where they've set up Agenda 21, the agenda for the 21st century. They want to start moving people en masse out of their, their land right. and the rural areas, put them into the already overcrowded city as a temporary phase as they bring down the populations. And, and then uh, for the elite wealthy class, they have their, their dash hours in the country, these ultra-modern high-tech homes with solar heating and all the rest of it uh, as they go through a step-by-step process for three generations. Alan, how are they going to do this? I mean, who's going to grow their food for them? If right. these, you know, these people, how is that going Not to happen? Not only that, but you, Alan, have you heard about, we had a gentleman called Bill Ryan on back a couple of weeks ago, and he said he heard from a Norwegian parliamentary minister that they're building underground bunkers to protect the, the elite of the country and letting the citizens fend for themselves. Have you heard anything about that? Yes, they've been, they've been Margaret Thatcher and in fact, um, was under the microscope back in the 1980s about the same thing when it was disclosed by Man Alive program investigative team uh, that Britain was doing the same thing for the wealthy elite. And they questioned Thatcher for it, about it, and she said, yes, we do have these underground homes uh, where those who are necessary for the survival and continuity of government and the race will go to survive for however long it might be. It could be 100, 200 years if need be. And uh, so that's been admitted. She also admitted that no member of the public that wasn't um, 
approved would get in, they'd be shot by <laughs> members of the special air service who would guard the entrances. But I still don't yeah. know how these, I mean, these wealthy people, they can't do anything for themselves. Who's going to work for them? I mean, if everybody's shoved in these cities and they're decreasing the population, it kind of defeats the purpose, doesn't it? Not really. No, you'd understand the big scope here. You, when they talk about post-humanist era, and it's all over the science magazines now in universities, uh, and, and you look at the transhumanist agenda, and look at the world meetings they're having, they're talking about a new type of more efficient worker, humanoid type, which they're going to create, just like Aldo Huxley's Brave New World. Yeah. They have the means to do it. They've been experimenting with it. And they believe that once they come out of some crisis, whether it's man-made or otherwise, probably will be man-made with pandemics and so on, according to Brown. He's boasting that these plagues are definitely coming soon and are going to wipe out a lot of the people. Uh, then they hope to then create scientifically more perfected slaves and they've written lots about it um, they've had world meetings on, on this at Loyola University even to do with the brain chipping of the entire population during this transition process from humanist, humanist to, to post-humanist agenda so wow that's amazing how do these secret societies fit into this we have Freemasons and of course the skull and bones and all that are they an active part of this, or are they like a cover? Most of them are a cover. They've always used charitable institutions at the bottom. It isn't until you dig into them in a deeper, deeper level that most of these philanthropic organizations have an actual intergenerational agenda. And, see, we think in very short-term planning. We think of our, in our lifetime what we can accomplish. These characters wrote 300-odd years ago, and even longer. John Dee wrote about a coming world system. He called it the British Empire. He coined the term, uh, including free trade, etc., uh, across the planet, and how they'd bring every country in the world under it by force if necessary. Yeah. <clears throat> uh, that, was, that was in the 16th century. Alan, uh, can you hear me? Yes. Uh, you've, you know, we banter around the word Illuminati quite a bit. Um, I mean, who are, is, is this organization really, in fact, out there running things, or do we just use the word as a, as a blanket for everybody in the elite? It's a blanket term today, but if you go to the Oxford Dictionaries, the old ones, they'll tell you that the term Illuminati was first used in the 15th century and then done through the centuries. And the illumined ones, in other words, are those who believe they're the highest evolved uh, species on the planet and they have high intellect and they have, for they do believe that the right to rule the rest of the people and do with them as they please um, it's an elitist psychopathic organization in fact but the, the secret societies um, there's no doubt whatsoever they've had a hand in this and I have many of their old books right. and when you go into it uh, the eugenics programs that we now hear about the, we call them bioethics committees now since World War II because eugenics uh, got a bad name during Hitler's reign, and so they call it bioethics. Uh, these worldwide bioethics uh, committees are working on eugenics and the creation of new, new superhumans, more perfected humans, etc. But they're, and life extension, but not to be given to everyone only for those who are worthy and deserve it. On your in, in a, a, something I listened to on your website, you had a word called pathocracy. What does that mean? Pathocracy is the nature of evil, uh, because uh, in times gone by, even the ancient Greeks um, uh, talked about what was it? It was called pornology and, and pathocracy. A pathocracy is really a, 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 a hierarchy ruling the world of psychopaths, inbred psychopaths. Now, Plato talked about this 2,300-odd years ago, and he said that we, the aristocracy, he was a member then, who interbreed and they have their mates selected for special qualities and the accumulation of wealth to prove that they were superior um, he said we always turn out similar types of offspring with same natures and same abilities and here we have done through thousands of years people right. who, have, who have accumulated incredible wealth through cunning and guile but basically they're psychopathic they don't have natural human compassion um, we know this in the business world it's been written about recently too that many of the bosses who get up to the top in the business world, uh, the cutthroat ones, are psychopaths by nature. They thrive in a, in a, a commercialized society sure. because they can claw their way up, get rid of anyone standing in their way, and they have no 
no, no guilt feelings the about whatsoever. it. Yep, that's right. Now this this line of the, 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 these people in the world, uh, Alan, who uh, who belong to these organizations or who could be Illuminati members. I mean, if you have a certain amount of money, uh, you know, can you join? Can you become part of the elite crowd? Yes, much of it is very old money, and that was part of the prerequisites. It isn't some, simply a matter of winning the, the, the national lotto or the Irish sweepstake. Uh, you've got to have the culture and what they call the breeding. Okay, got it. Uh, they, they, you use the term breeding, good breeding, uh, for two, three hundred years very openly. Where do the Freemasons fit into this? Century. Alan, where do the Freemasons fit in? The Freemasons are... Uh, they seem very innocuous when you first look at their, what they're about until you go into their higher workings, their higher sources. And they themselves are Illuminati, all members who, who are born again in the ritual uh, of, of being born again uh, are members technically of the Illuminati. But then so are professors and people inside universities because you're part of the alumni, the Lumined Ones. Um, the name came out and became very popular with conspiracy buffs uh, over Adam Weishaupt. Now, he was only in charge of one branch of Freemasonry, and he took the heat for an agenda that really was throughout all of Masonry, and it's still on today, to perfect man himself. They're left to perfect that which the builders left imperfect. That's man himself to rebuild him. Okay, Alan, we're going to have to take a commercial break. Uh, when we come back, I want to talk. There's so much going on in Tibet right now. The, chi the oppression uh, by the Chinese of the Tibetan, and there's even talk of the Dalai Lama uh, retire, going bowing out because of this. But this has much deeper roots than just this, uh, these episodes that are going on right now. We'll be right back with Alan Watt. All right, uh, we're back, and our guest tonight uh, from somewhere in Ontario, Canada, is Alan Watt. Alan, you still there? Yes, sir. And uh, by the way, uh, the website is cuttingthroughthematrix.com. Alan, uh, one of Hitler's men, Goring, uh, had, had an incredible statement. I want to read it and, uh, and ask you about it. He says, voice or no voice, the people can always be brought to the bidding of their leaders. It's easy, he says. All you have to do is tell them that they're being attacked by terrorists and denounce the pacifists for lack of patriotism. And Goring says it works the same in every country. Alan, things just don't change, do they? No, they don't change. And the same techniques were used by Nero and others in ancient Rome. Uh, they always take away the public's freedoms and rights under the guise of the same thing, which is terrorism. And it's rather odd that people only really think about it that not so long ago they had, they had the red under the bed scare during the communist era. Mm -hmm. And that the media poo-pooed that. However, the same media that works again for the CFR is promulgating this hype, hype, hype of terror everywhere. It could be you, it could be your neighbor, it yes. could be uh, your, your own family, your offspring. Uh, and, and we're creating up a tremendous paranoia. But it's nothing to do with terror. The, the true stampeding effort, and that's all it is, is to stampede the public through a massive change in their way of living to a totally ordered, controlled society where everyone's ID'd and cannot uh, travel anywhere or do anything without the consent they prove and being monitored by the government. You know, I, 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 that's why I wanted to talk about the, the Chinese. We've done all this trade with them. We are so beholden to them. We owe them probably our firstborn male children, all of us. Um, and yet they, they have terrible human rights abuses. They are attacking the Tibetans right now. Um, and they have the same thing. Everything is ordered, controlled. Are we just, uh, is this a demonstration to show us what we're going to be having here? You're right, because the United Nations has stated on more than one occasion, uh, it was also reiterated by uh, uh, Charles Galton Darwin, the grandson of Charles Darwin. He said, the United this is in the 1950s, he said this, uh, he said, um, China will be set up as the model state for the world to follow. Hmm. And the United States, uh, the, the United Nations also has that published as well. China is the model state uh, that we've all to follow, including with their birth control policy that's mandatory. And also, now we have this whole thing about them having the Olympics coming up very shortly. With all of that's going on, and, and the media seems to be turning a blind eye to it, is it just another way to convince all of us that it's okay to deal with this this way? Oh, absolutely. 
Uh, you've got to understand, too, China, we, we know now that communism was set up by the big boys in the West. We funded uh, the Soviet system through its entire existence. We fed them from Canada and the States. And, uh, um, and so was China. Same thing again. It was set up to be uh, a leader. And also China will be the, the main leader for all the Pacific Rim regions something that Karl Marx talked about in the 1800s, a United Americas, a United Europe, and, and a, a far eastern Pacific region. Right. And China will be the dominant one, given authority over Australia and New Zealand eventually. You know, Alan, it kind of makes me laugh because uh, the U.S. goes and invades any country it, it uh, sees fit for whatever stupid reason. And I, I've always thought, you know, if China ever wanted to turn the tables and invade the U.S., I mean, we have a quarter of a million uh, military people. They have over a million, uh, and they oh, have wonderful. and they have nuclear weapons. They they, they could uh, just run across the country, uh, taking control of it anytime they wanted. Could they not? Yeah. yeah. And not only that, um, see, China was set up by the West. The boys at the head of China are all uh, working for the same people who own the Americas, who own Europe. The big bankers set them up. China, believe it or not, is just part of the same interlocking world system. Right. And th their leaders will do as they're told by their masters, just like the ones in the U.S. and Britain do. It's amazing to me. Now, I want to get into mm. some of these other uh, secret ways of getting information because it seems that these elite families they have made darn sure that they have access to all of these secret modes of knowledge um, but lately the Kabbalah has become very popular Madonna is even getting into it yeah. is that one of the true secret ways of knowledge the stuff that's taught to the public is not including what Madonna is getting taught uh, the Kabbalah has coding within coding and yet if you understand the codings it only makes sense then it's part of the agenda as well. Uh, so is the whole New Age movement phenomena, in fact, was created by MI5 and MI6. And the CIA in the United <laughs> States ran the whole New Age movement uh, that, that brings in Kabbalah, astrology, um, and its whole movement to past life experiences and so on. Because they wanted uh, a society that would float through these changes and not look at the negatives. They're all trained, doesn't matter what school it is, you're taught that everything is fine, don't look at the negative. And meanwhile, you've got this big train coming up behind you <laughs> as you sure. mentally masturbate yourself in yes. rattle chakras. Uh, <laughs> so that was an intended way of mind control. It works very well. Yeah. Millions of people have succumbed to it. They're oblivious to what's happening in the world. They don't care what's happening in the world. Everything is in divine and perfect Boy, order. You know, and we know yeah. a lot of people yeah. who follow that train of thought. Yeah, sure. but that's true of all religions, whether it's the New Age movement or another one, If you, in even the Buddhists, you know. Mm -hmm. Okay, you, you're going to have to keep coming back again and again, yeah. uh, you know, to get it right. And, of course, with the Christian, you've got the whole idea of heaven, and, and you're, you're going to do very well that way. That was all planned, too, a long time ago. It was all planned as well. And, uh, but the mandates of all high masonry, uh, they have it written down there that they must destroy private property. It's the same as, as the, the Communist Manifesto, by the way. Private property, the end of all uh, national religions, and, and the bringing forth of a new age religion. The main magazine of the, the Freemason Journal, the, the Scottish Rite of Freemasonry, in the 1950s published uh, uh, their magazine, and it was called The New Age. And they said that they would be responsible for bringing in the New Age and the New Age, New Age religion as we came through this big transition that they knew was coming all that time ago. Now, what is, the Ro what is Rosicrucianism, or what is that about? Because the that seems to be tied into... the first main branch to pop their heads up publicly in Europe, mainly at the court of the Queen Elizabeth I of England. Her court, uh, John Dee, Francis Bacon... Francis Drake and others, Walter Raleigh, were members of the Rosicrucian Society. Again, elitist-based, uh, they brought in, uh, they mixed in with Christianity at that time, um, some, a little bit of Hinduism and a little bit of Kabbalah, and uh, put this all together. That became the, the foundation for what we now call the New Age today. Ah, so that's they brought the it roots forth, of it. But it was also behind it an elitist... Um, 
agenda. They believed they were the, tr- the most, uh, the, the hidden masters, as they called themselves. Right. They believed that they'd only come to earth to guide mankind that was too incapable of guiding himself, and that they would have to come here to order it, to make it perfect. They kept talking about a utopia. <laughs> utopia sounds nice, but as George Orwell says, some are more equal than others in such utopias. Yeah. And that's how it's going to be. Their utopia is where they can vastly reduce the population of the world. You see the standing guidestones in Georgia set up by Rosicrucians. It's chiseled in stone there that they want to reduce the world by over three quarters right. of the population. Alan, we need to get to a commercial break. What a screwed up world we live in. When we come back, I want to ask you quickly, this is our final commercial break. We only have a short amount of time about surveillance. I know you're in Canada, and surveillance and Big Brother is really bad here. And let's uh, find out what it's like in your country. When we return, Alan Watt comes back. Alan, let's talk about surveillance. Here it is atrocious, most everywhere. How about in Canada? It's the same laws everywhere, yes. And uh, what do you think? They're, we know that they're trying to influence our behavior, by, even if they're not actually watching us, making us feel that we are being right. watched. That's the big thing. Yeah. How does this fit into the new world order in a grand scale? I mean, it, will that make a difference in whether we, we accept this nonsense or not? It does. Uh, we're, they're allocating money all the time, more funding. They're already monitoring uh, everything on the Internet. I know they're monitoring a lot of people's mails, including my own. That's your paper mail. And um, they eventually want to put uh, tracking chips in the public. That This is admitted as major media. They'll be tracked by cell phones all around cities, wherever you go, and they'll know where you are at, at every moment. Right. So to get a totalitarian system working, everyone must be predictable. And they gather all information on you, what associations you belong to, who you meet with. And they're even, they're even admitted in the paper, and now they're doing it through your cell phones. That's true. Finding where you go, your local library club or, right. or for something like that. Then they trace every member of that club to see if they have similar um, viewpoints, um, interests and in books, that type of thing. You know, Alan, I mean to cut you off here, but actually just last week, somebody from Homeland Security in this country said, you know, we don't need to... Uh, to RFID chip everybody because 97% of the population has a cell phone. And mm-hmm. with that GPS tracking in it, they do know where you are any minute, any second of the day. Even with your DVD that I just finished watching, Alan, you talk about how political correctness is one of the devices to use. Tell me about that. It's an amazing way. We, we, we know for a fact that uh, Zygmunt Brzezinski and Bertrand Russell all talked about a new method coming in that would control the minds of the public, bring them to what they thought was their own conclusions. But in reality, it was all being put to them through osmosis, through propaganda carefully worked out. Uh, that's all part of it. Most folk are arriving at conclusions by listening to experts that are provided uh, they'll fight over what they think are their own opinions, but they, and they don't realize they have no real opinions of their own. We're already under a scientific control of, of mind control, uh, a whole matrix system. And that has reduced our tolerance for people because people will say, oh, those, those Muslims or whatever, and they know absolutely nothing about them, yes. but they use what they've heard, and, and it's just reduced tolerance. It's politically correct to be anti-Muslim, and that reduces tolerance. Need to say There's no doubt about it. Again, the last remaining religion that has some kind of functioning society, we are dysfunctional now back here. Look at yeah. all the relationships around you. Everything is dysfunctional. The, the children are dysfunctional. The family units are gone. They've been under attack. Like they said, they'd have to destroy the family unit and a long time ago. And they're doing those, a good those job of it. countries that still have the family unit are now must be destroyed. Their culture must be destroyed. And their religion must be destroyed, right. too. All right, Alan, we need to say goodnight to you. Thanks a lot for joining us on the program. Appreciate it. I know your website is uh, chock full of information at cuttingthroughthematrix.com. Good night, Goodnight, Alan. Good night. Hi, this is Melissa, and it's the 18th of December, 2022. And you have just been listening to an interview that Alan Watt did without their TV with Richard and Kate Mucci. Uh, this is a now defunct show that ran, I'm not sure how long it ran, I think several years. And the format of the show was that they would talk about topical news stories for about 12 to 15 minutes and then bring their guest on. 
I cut out that portion because the stories that they were covering didn't really resonate with what we're going through. But interestingly, much of the talk, most of the talk with Alan really did seem timely. I picked the talk for several reasons. I thought it was a really great overview of an ancient system. Alan was talking about Tavistock, intelligence agencies, Julian Huxley and UNESCO, how education works so closely with the system, always creating training the new type of worker, the new type of student for the new system, perfected slaves. And Alan got into the idea of post-humanism with his hosts, and post-humanism contains within that what we are now hearing a lot of talk about transhumanism, what is really here, the creation of the more efficient worker, and it also certainly fits in with the theme of purpose-made people that we're on and cutting through the matrix. The other area that I thought was of interest was when Alan was discussing how the new system that we're being brought into as they're training the efficient worker, the new slave for the new system, they're also simultaneously depopulating, bringing down the population. And Alan said, you know, how is that going to happen? He thought that it would be through a pandemic or a series of pandemics. And he said, and Brown just said that, Gordon Brown, at the time of this interview, it was in March of 2008, and um, I went and did a little bit of searching for the news at that time and found this, a flu pandemic, not terror, is our biggest threat, says Brown. The greatest threat facing Britain is neither a terror attack nor climate change, but a flu pandemic, Gordon Brown said yesterday. It could kill 750,000 people and spread to this country at record speed, he told MPs. So that, you know, the predictive programming, as Alan always pointed out, is such a huge part of bringing us into the new system. And someone sent me this week a trailer for the movie that came out in 2011 called Contagion. And, uh, you know, the commenters on the trailer on YouTube were saying, oh, it's just amazing that this was in 2011 and now in 2020 we're living through it. Well, that's what happens when you're living through a plan or living through a script, as Alan would say. And what is interesting to me, what I've been thinking about for a long time, is that it, it's a must-be. It It doesn't matter how hard it is for some of us to wrap our heads around doublethink. It is all around us, and it doesn't matter. So the other day I was watching a series of videos on the Australian senator I posted last week who was just lambasting his peers for not doing a more thorough job on investigating the vaccines and not halting it now. And then someone sent me a British MP who was doing the same thing, basically to an empty parliament, but he was just saying this is an outrage, and I'll um, make sure that that link gets up there for you. And some of the other videos that I was looking at, Ron DeSantis said he was going to convene a grand jury and they were going to investigate the vaccine manufacturers and so forth. And last week I'd also put up something about um, another panel with Senator Ron Johnson. So there, there's all of this seeming pushback from what we think of as authorized voices, our, our politicians. At the same time, you know, I went, I had to go into the dollar store and get something and over the speaker, there was an ad between music and it, it was the CDC recommends that if you haven't had a booster shot in the last two months, that you get yourself boosted right away because the boosters are very effective against the late, the variant of COVID, the Omicron. And I, I thought, 
there there isn't any stopping this. It's like no revelation, no grand jury, no panel of experts who say this is not only not safe and effective, it is, you know, people are dying suddenly. It's a, a terrible thing, and we have to halt it immediately. Because it's that primary thing, it's that, that messaging that they want to get across, and that is the vaccines are safe and effective, and you should run out and get a booster right now. And the technique, one, of, one thing I saw this week was about six children in British Columbia who had died of the flu, and I saw a doctor, Dr. William Mackus, being interviewed, and he was giving the stories of the children who had died, and um, he was just saying, you know, that this appears to be something worthy of investigation. This is not normal for a six-year-old to die of the flu. Well, I put up a couple of weeks ago, two or three weeks ago now, that the College of Physicians and Surgeons of Ontario had put out a recommendation, basically how doctors should deal with people who were vaccine-hesitant. And so I was just looking at that again today, and I saw several fact-checkers who were saying, no, the College of Physicians and Surgeons, they didn't say that. Uh, the social media is users are distorting this, and, and the... And, the Canadian physicians had to update it just to make it more clear. And so what they said was medications and referrals to psychotherapy may be options for patients who have severe anxiety linked to vaccination. And the example that they used that they added when they updated the page was that it would be people who would have an extreme fear of needles. But that is not, that's not what the original language that I looked at said, and it isn't even what the updated page says. The updated page says, it is also important that physicians work with their patients to manage anxieties related to the vaccine and not enable avoidance behavior. For example, for extreme fear of needles, trypanophobia, or other cases of serious concern, responsible use of prescription medications and or referral to psychotherapy may be available options. So this changes nothing. I mean, a fear of needles is one serious concern, but another serious concern that one might present to their doctor is a fear of dying suddenly. And in that case, would they prescribe medication or refer you to psychotherapy, well, it would seem that they would. So in the in the fact-checking that I found in a couple of different sites, it said they, they, they had to smear someone. They, they smeared the doctor that I just mentioned, Dr. William Mackus, who was talking about uh, six children in British Columbia dying from the flu. It said, the tweet shared a clip from an event hosted Wednesday by a former Canadian TV personality in which she interviews Dr. William Mackus, a doctor who has shared COVID-19 misinformation in the past. Mackus states that CPSO sent out a letter or memo to all the doctors in Ontario suggesting that they consider any of their unvaccinated patients as having a mental problem and that they should be put on psychiatric medication. And of course, the way they word this, I mean, that isn't exactly what he said, but if you read the letter of what the college put out, yep, you could certainly interpret it that way, and it is broad enough that one should interpret it that way. But the point is that it is has been standard, and we've all seen it over and over during this last three years, it's just standard operating procedure to smear anyone with a different idea of what is going on than what is authorized. The most important news or occurrence that I learned of this week was something that I missed at the time that it happened, and that was a tabletop exercise called Catastrophic Contagion.
The Johns Hopkins Center for Health Security, in partnership with WHO and the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, conducted Catastrophic Contagion, a pandemic tabletop exercise at the Grand Challenges Annual Meeting in Brussels, Belgium, on October 23, 2022. The extraordinary group of participants consisted of 10 current and former health ministers and senior public health officials from Senegal, Rwanda, Nigeria, Angola, Liberia, Singapore, India, Germany, as well as Bill Gates, co-chair of the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. The exercise simulated a series of WHO emergency health advisory board meetings addressing a fictional pandemic set in the near future. Participants grappled with how to respond to an epidemic located in one part of the world that then spread rapidly, becoming a pandemic with a higher fatality rate than COVID-19 and disproportionately affecting children and young people. Participants were challenged to make urgent policy decisions with limited information in the face of uncertainty. Each problem and choice had serious health, economic, and social ramifications. So now let's just recap that just a couple, three months before the COVID-19 event, we had event 201, which was a tabletop exercise hosted by the Johns Hopkins Center for Health Security in partnership with Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. Is this raising alarm bells? Because if it isn't, it should be. In so many different ways, we see that they're coming for our children. They're coming for your children. And we can't be the people Alan talked about in this interview that he did on Out There TV who just want to look at, you know, the, the positive side of things. They, they want to look at the bright side. And there's the train that's coming down the tracks, and it is going to run you over if you're not paying attention. What I've noticed, what I've tried to write about and, and I've, I've thought an awful lot about over the last year plus is how... We, the victims, are, you know, they play divide and conquer on us. So we argue about what is or isn't in the vaccine, whether or not germs and germ theory is real, or is there a virus, uh, whatever it is that they want us fighting about, well, that's what we do. That's how our education, our indoctrination works. That's the default position. And it's very unfortunate, but a lot of people who think that they have woken up to dastardly deeds, that they haven't woken up, they're reacting. And um, they have just found something that they can hang on to, and that's what they're clinging to. And it, there's a, a, a requirement that you be okay with free fall, that when you Open up Pandora's box of the truth. Really, you know, you have jumped off a cliff. And you've got to be okay with that free fall. You have to be okay not knowing everything. You have to be okay with the unknown. And uh, and not lose your head. Because it, that's what Alan said. The hardest thing to do will be to hold on to your sanity. And we are all there. So... In doing a little bit of research uh, around what is the latest in transhumanism and also how are they coming for our children, what does that look like, I uh, was reminded of a couple of articles that I put up on the website earlier this year, I think it was back in probably February, that came from Unlimited Hangout, and it was a series basically, um, I think it was a series on education, there was a name for it, Teachnocracy. Teachnocracy. I put up the links to the articles, but I I didn't uh, elaborate on them at all, and the series of articles is very much worth elaborating on. 
particularly today, because in this talk, Alan was discussing um, the the two Huxley brothers, Aldo, and how he factored into the kind of brave new world scenario of the agenda, and his brother Julian, who was the first head of UNESCO, which is the United Nations Educational, Scientific, and Cultural Organization. And what Alan was discussing on this talk was, in this interview, was that it's standardized education. It is a way of molding the, you know, the new slave, the efficient worker, but they're all getting the same education towards an end. The series of articles that is up on Unlimited Hangout, which is Whitney Webb's site, are the um, American Federation of Teachers sells out to Rockefellers, Trilateralists, and Big Tech, the NEA World Order, and that's the National Education Association World Order. Then there's America's largest teachers' unions push vaccine mandates that will usher in technocratic digital ID. And how Education International, that's EI, Education International, is pushing teachers' unions into the fourth industrial revolution. And the final article in the series is Education International, ITUC, and the global push to inject the 4IR, that's Fourth Industrial Revolution, and transhumanism into schools. So this series of articles, I, you know, it would be a time commitment for you, or as Alan would say, if you can be bothered to read, uh, there's a lot of amazing information here. And I looked, when I put up two of the articles from this series back in February, I did not investigate who had written them, but his name is John Kleisick. And I've listened to a couple of interviews that he did, and he was explaining that in the course of writing, he had, he had written an article, and the late Charlotte Iserby, who passed away, I think, just very early this year, maybe even in January, Charlotte Iserby um, did amazing work on education and dumbing down of students. She contacted Mr. Kleisick and wanted to work with him on some articles. He said that he ended up going to live with her for about 30 days. She gave him access to a lot of her papers and then eventually gave him a lot of her research. So that is, he, he's an amazing resource and considering that John Taylor Gatto passed away in 2018, and he did a book called Dumbing Us Down. And you'll find from both of these really great researchers, Charlotte Iserby and John Taylor Gatto, um, there are a lot of audios, uh, interviews, videos, um, writing that they have done to, to show what has happened to, in particular, the American education system. But uh, as if you read, if you can be bothered to read the series of articles, you will see that the teachers' unions, this is an international um, group of organizations, and it is affecting the curriculum, the education of students internationally. And I think that John Kleisick has done an excellent job of showing the connection to the World Economic Forum's Fourth Industrial Revolution, the Great Reset, and transhumanism. And I'm going to read just a tiny little bit of his article, and he goes into all of the things that Alan was talking about in this interview back in 2008, Huxley, UNESCO. So give it a give these things a read, and you'll be astonished. Um, as I am always, about how prescient Alan was to the times that we are now living through. The last article in the series 
is from March of this year, and it is entitled Education International, ITUC, and the Global Push to Inject the 4IR, that's Fourth Industrial Revolution, and Transhumanism into Schools. As fears of World War III are being stoked, don't take your eye off Education International, which has been collaborating with the World Economic Forum, the UN, Big Tech, and others to force transhumanism into schools with the goal of creating the Fourth Industrial Revolution Workforce. Ever wonder why the United States of America's largest teachers' unions, the National Education Association, the NEA, and the American Federation of Teachers, the AFT, have been pushing for the privatization of public schools, or why they have also been pushing through EdTech contracts with big tech corporations, such as Microsoft, Google, Apple, and IBM. While the NEA and the AFT have recently justified public school partnerships with private ed tech corporatization on the grounds that virtual distance learning is necessary to protect students from COVID-19 infections, these teachers' unions have a long history of cozying up to big tech. These very same big tech companies just so happen to also be facilitating the courseware necessary for online education. Furthermore, the NEA and the AFT are both members of the Global Union Federation, GUF, <laughs> that would make Alan laugh, GUF known as Education International, EI, which appoints delegates to the World Economic Forum, which likewise partners with Microsoft, Google, Apple, and IBM. Considering these crony corporatist collusions between the NEA, the AFT, EI, the WEF, and Big Tech, it appears that these national and international teachers' unions are exploiting COVID panic in order to ram through public-private ed-tech partnerships with multinational technology companies that are driving the globalist Fourth Industrial Revolution, 4IR, which is being spearheaded by the oligarchs affiliated with the WEF. And I'll just interject here. Um, one of the things that Alan talks about is uh, in this interview is pathocracy, pathocracy and ponderology. He calls that the nature of evil. So he, he's talking about when you're talking about pathocracy, you are talking about basically intergenerational evil that runs us. And I think, you know, that's, that, that may even be a better way of looking at it than just plain old oligarchs. To illustrate, one of the founding presidents of EI was AFT President Albert Schenker, a trilateral commission member who met with the head of IBM before conceptualizing public-private charter school corporations. This evolved into the virtual charter schooling industry that has since spawned companies like U.S. Secretary of Education William Bennett's K-12, Inc. The other founding president of EI was NEA President Mary Futrell, who served on the board of directors of K-12, Inc., which Bennett commercialized as an outgrowth of the U.S. Department of Education's Project BEST, Basic Education Skills Through Technology. Project BEST was the USA's domestic version of a United Nations Education Scientific and Cultural Organization, UNESCO, project known as Study 11, which set up the International Information Technology, IT, infrastructure for what is now called the Fourth Industrial Revolution. Other prominent NEA and AFT members of EI presently include Randy Weingarten, uh, Lily Eskelson Garcia and David Edwards, and he's going to elaborate more on those characters. It says, with these AFT and NEA officials holding high office at EI since the GUF's inception, these U.S. national teachers unions have tethered essentially all of the USA's unionized educators to the globalist policies of EI in collaboration with the World Economic Forum. 
In my previous article for Unlimited Hangout, I documented how the World Economic Forum has been lording over EI bureaucrats who direct the marching orders of the AFT and the NEA, along with 381 other EI member organizations, encompassing 32 million teachers and education support personnel in 178 countries and territories. More specifically, my report detailed how the World Economic Forum's Great Reset has been commissioned to EI bureaucrats, including Robert Harris, Fred Van Leeuwen, and Yelmer Evers, who have passed down the Global Reset Agenda to national teachers' unions such as the AFT and the NEA. As a result, educators and school staff are being stirred up to reimagine learning through corporate ed tech innovations geared to the fourth industrial revolution. To put it bluntly, my last article, How Education International is Pushing Teachers Unions into the Fourth Industrial Revolution, revealed how the puppet strings of national teachers unions, including the AFT and the NEA, are dangled from these EI operatives and controlled by the World Economic Forum at the top of the technocratic chain of command. In this article, I will now expose how two more EI globalists, David Edwards and Sharon Burrow, both collaborate with the WEF to corral nearly all the world's unionized teachers under the guff monolith of EI, which partners with the International Trade Union Confederation, the ITUC, in order to herd local teachers' unions into the Fourth Industrial Revolution. As I previously noted, this, quote, revolution, end quote, is being accelerated by the WEF's Great Reset in coordination with the world governance arms of the United Nations, the Organization for Economic Cooperation and Development, the OECD, the International Monetary Fund, IMF, and the World Bank. By consolidating ostensibly all of the planet's teachers and education professionals under the single GUF of EI in coordination with the ITUC, Edwards and Burrow are galvanizing all school workers into a uniform, one-world workforce that marches in lockstep with the corporate technocratic directives of globalist oligarchs at the WEF the UN, the OECD, the IMF, and the World Bank. Rather than representing local teachers and other school workers at the international bargaining tables of these global governance institutions, Edwards and Burrow are co-opting local educators by signing them on to the WEF's technocratic Great Reset which is expediting the fourth industrial revolution that is being ushered in with the help of the UN, the OECD, the IMF, and the World Bank. And the article goes on. I'm not going to read any more because there are several articles in the series and there's a lot of information. And if you're interested, it's all there for you to absorb at your own pace. But I felt, you know, I, I, I apologize right now that I prattled on for so long, but I felt that it was really important to point out the recent tabletop exercise, what may well be coming down the pike for children. We will be told that this is really bad. It's much worse than COVID-19, and they, they couldn't put the scare on. But here you are. Let's put two and two together. Already we're pointing out to you that six children in British Columbia have passed away from the flu. What is happening here? So be alert. Pay attention. Understand that that these two prongs, these are just two prongs of a multi-pronged system here, but depopulation, transhumanism, the new worker slave, and I felt that they were really, really important stories to bring to your attention. I hope you get a lot out of Alan's interview and these additional stories that I've brought to your attention, and thank you for listening. I also wanted to add 
I, I just can't keep up with the email right now. It might be that time of the year, but, um, Weston is, has helped a little bit with, especially with some of the, um, emails. If, the, if you have an inquiry, want to know how much the books cost to ship to your part of the world or things like that. I just wanted you to know that I am, I do read everything. <laughs> now I sound like Alan there. He'd always say, well, I read everything that comes in. But I, I do read everything and I will get back. I will answer them, but I try not to do just one or two lines. I, I really think about what you're saying and I want to respond with something that will be helpful. And so I can't just dash it off. But do you know that I'm reading your course, your emails to me, and you're very much on my mind, even if I haven't had time to get back to you. And thanks again for listening and for your support of the work of Alan Watt and what we're doing to keep that going and and bring it to new people.